Good morning. It's great to see all you here today. Welcome to you who are joining us online. I'm so glad that you're uh, taking this opportunity to connect with us in that way. Um, we're going to talk on something today that's really, uh, I think, uh, relevant. And uh, I'm going to talk with you on this whole idea of what is forgiveness and what is it all about. Uh, I would like to begin with just a short word of prayer myself. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord God, I want to thank you for this opportunity to talk on this really important uh, subject matter. What does it mean to be forgiven? And I pray, Lord, that you would open our minds now to the truth of your word, open our hearts to a deeper relationship with you, and open our wills, Lord, to be uh, more established in your ways and to walk as forgiven people. Would you just bless this time and anoint the, the sharing of your word, Lord? May it be powerful and effective and do its intended work. I just pray for each person here to tune into you and Holy Spirit for you to do uh, what I surely can't do, and that's to speak the hearts today. I love you, Jesus, and praise your name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So today we're going to talk about what does it mean to be forgiven. Um, Eventually, when we get to the end of the message today, it's going to be uh, a real, uh, I hope, transparent uh, self-awareness moment for you. So there's, it's a, there's a twofold uh, uh, approach to today's message I, I hope that you experience. One is that, first of all, uh, you have some questions answered about your faith, that you have some apologetics, apologetics uh, kind of thing going on, uh, where you know who you are a little bit more in Jesus Christ, you're more self-aware in that regard, more established in your faith, and also that you're able to articulate then to those around you the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. So I pray that those two things happen, that we have some apologetics go on during this message. You realize that that's been a big emphasis of this whole series this fall, Grown Up Faith, right? Is that we become established in our faith and able to share our faith effectively uh, with other people. So when we ask questions like, um, why can't God just accept me the way I am? Why can't I make my own rules? Or like last week, uh, why is Jesus the only way to God? What we're doing is helping you to work out your most holy faith with fear and trembling so that you're well established in your faith, but also so that you can articulate what you believe to those around you when they ask you questions. So we're going to do some of that today, once again, of course, and that's going to be the first part of this message. But the second part of this message is going to be real personal. And it's an opportunity for you to have a real transformative moment in your life and to really know what it means to be a person that's totally and utterly forgiven of their sins. Um, so uh, the flow of this message then is apologetics to transformation. So open your minds to what God wants to do today. Open your hearts to receive it. And then, of course, I pray that your lives will begin to reflect it. The older I get, the more I realize how important it is to have these transformative moments, to become self-aware. I don't know where you're at, but I, I just, it's so important to become self-aware to know what your real needs are, what it really means that Jesus is your Savior, what it means that you're really under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that you can become what God wants you to become. These are just precious, precious moments that we get uh, to have like this as a church. So let's start with some talk of forgiveness. And um, really, a, a common question that's asked is this. Why can't God just forgive everybody? Right? And usher everybody to heaven. Ever have that question posed to you? If I was an unbeliever, that would be a question I would have. What's this forgiveness thing about? Why do we even need it? Why can't God just forgive everybody? Why can't everybody go to heaven? Well, I'm going to give you the answer that we've been giving you for several weeks now. Uh, one of the main apologetic uh, answers. Why can't we all just go to heaven as we are? You know why? Because God is holy. 
and he can't fellowship with the unholy. So you could forgive everybody for their sins, but then you still have all these unholy people who are being governed by their sin nature, and they, they can't go to heaven because heaven's a holy place. And the only ones that can go to heaven, folks, are holy people. Are you hearing me? God cannot fellowship with unholy people. And so why can't God just forgive everybody and take everybody to heaven? It's a holiness question. God can't be in the presence of the unholy. Plus, there's a second issue here. There's a second issue that you really need to understand. Um, when Adam and Eve sinned, they ushered in death. So sin resulted in spiritual death. And a dead person needs to be resurrected. Not just forgiven, but resurrected also. So if I have somebody greatly offend me in my life, and then they die before we have a chance to reconcile, and I go to their graveside, and I have this real honest, transparent moment, and I forgive them for all the offenses that they've done against me, blah, 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 blah. I maybe feel better, but what about that dead person? Does it change them at all? They're still what? Dead. Amen. So when we're dead in our trespasses, when we're dead in our sinfulness, I tell you what, even if God forgives us, if we don't have some kind of renewal and transformation that takes place in our lives, we're still what? Dead. And dead people need to be resurrected. Those are the two main reasons why people are not suited for heaven. It's a holy place. And it's a place for those people who are alive in Jesus Christ. So let me give you this summary. Fallen humanity needs to be made holy. And forgiveness of sins is super important. I'm not minimizing it at all. It is the starting place. But it's not the ending place. And fallen humanity needs to be resurrected from the dead. Amen? And that's a big need. So at some point, most of us will ask this kind of question. God, why can't you just forgive everybody? Why can't everybody just go to heaven? Well, I hope you have an answer now, right? At least for your own soul. Well, I realize, God, heaven's a holy place. And if I'm going to go there, I have to be holy. Something has to transform in me, so I move from unholy to holiness. Of course, we know we do that by faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? But also, I'm dead in my trespasses. So even if you forgive me in my sins, if I don't have a relationship with you, it doesn't matter. I'm still a dead person. And that's problematic, going to heaven where heaven's all about life. Hear this. You need to let the gravity of sin kind of penetrate your soul. We often want God just to kind of wink at our sinfulness <clears throat> and to overlook it. Sometimes, you know, we think of sin this way. God, okay, I, I, you know, I was speeding. No big deal. Give me a ticket and let's get on with it. But here's, here's the reality. I do a lot of hiking in the mountains. And oftentimes you're way up there, 14,000 feet, driving your car to get to the place of the hike, right? And the road is like terribly small. Have you ever noticed that? And if you drive off the road, what happens? You go through the air to your death. That's what happens. It makes driving a little bit more serious. You know, my wife will be talking, don't talk to me, I'm focused right now. Because if I screw up here, we're dead. Well, tell you what, folks. We have to understand in our sin condition, we don't have a speeding ticket issue. We have a going off a 14,000 foot mountain issue and we're in the middle of the air and we're headed for certain death unless we're saved. That's the issue that we have as people. We need to understand the gravity of our sinful condition. Now, God knowing that people had a sin problem, God knowing that they needed to be forgiven, God knowing that they needed to move from unholy to holy, God knowing that they were dead in their trespasses, knowing this, he's had a foundation, a plant at the foundation of the world, and that's to send his son, Jesus Christ. 
to reestablish relationship with a holy God and an unholy people, to enable us to be forgiven, to move us from that status of being dead to being alive. Now, we've been showing this picture here this big picture highlighting Jesus at the, at the top of our, our big picture of the Bible. The Bible's all one story. The old ties in with the new. I think they'll show the picture here. They did first hour. And I didn't, yeah, there they go. Um, and so, so we're to this point of this picture now. You got to remember in this series, Grown Up Faith, we're kind of going through uh, this, 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 this pyramid of understanding of the Bible. It's one big story, the Old Testament, New Testament. It all ties together. And at the pinnacle of it, of course, is, is Jesus Christ. So all the Old Testament points to what? Jesus Christ. It points to this idea that sin needs to be taken seriously. There's the sacrificial system. Sin required the shedding of blood. So you had this sacrifice system that was pointing over and over and over again our sinfulness, right? And then there's God, you know, holy prophets talking about God longs to be in relationship with his people and he wants, you know, uh, uh, us to, to, to move from the status of unholy uh, to holy and all that kind of thing. And so then Jesus Christ shows up, right? And he makes a way to God. He takes upon himself our sinfulness and he fulfills all the requirements of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and then he ushered in a what? A New Testament. And now we live in this time of New Testament where his law is supposed to be written on our hearts, it's supposed to be in our, in our minds, and he, there's all this transformation language. We become a new creation in Christ, um, he no longer lives, uh, I mean I no longer live, he lives in me, and there's all this resurrection language and all that kind of stuff. And Jeremiah prophesied about this very thing, you know, in Jeremiah chapter 31. Listen to what he said in verses 31 through 34 of chapter 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with the fathers on that day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people and no longer shall teach each uh, so one teaches neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I'll remember their sin no more. See, we have two fatal problems, folks. We've got to understand. One is sin. Not only do we need to be forgiven of our sin, we need to get out of the yoke of its mastery. We need to be free from the slavery of sin. We have that problem, Right? Secondly, we're dead. We're dead people in our trespasses and we need to be resurrected. And this is what has been done through Jesus Christ and the new covenant. So our big thought today for the message is simply this. Jesus instituted a new covenant. And here's what this new covenant is about. It says this in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. Therefore he, Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since the death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So Jesus is this mediator of this new covenant. He's moved us from death to life, from unholy to holy, from having all this sin hanging over to our heads to having that sin gone. As David said in Psalm 103, when God forgives us of our sins, it's as far as the east from the west. Our transgressions are no more. But more than this, now I just want you to really understand this. More than just being forgiven, we're supposed to have this freedom from sin and its mastery. 
We're supposed to move into this new covenant life that Jesus offers us. And as Romans 6, 23, uh, uh, verses 22 through 23 tell us, we're delivered from the slavery of sin to new life in Jesus Christ. There's supposed to be this new life that Jeremiah talked about that we're truly experiencing. Listen to Romans 6, 22 uh, and 23. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. What does sanctification mean? It's being holy being set apart, being made new. So when God uses that word sanctification, when we're sanctified through and through, he says, I make you holy through and through. What's our problem? We're unholy without Jesus Christ. What does Jesus do? He makes us holy. So what? So why is that important? So we can go in heaven and in relationship with the holy God, amen? So we can have a relationship right now with the Holy God. So this scripture starts by saying, you've been set free from sin. Not only have you been forgiven, you've been set free from its mastery, and you become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification, to you becoming holy, and, and, it, and its end is what? Life. See how this answers all the questions that were presented as problems? What does sin do to us? Separates us from God because we become unholy. We need to be made holy. That's what Jesus does. What does sin bring about? Death. What does Jesus Christ bring about? Eternal life. So all the problems are being answered here, and we move from the status of unholy, dead people to holy, alive people in Jesus Christ. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So last weekend I mentioned we're doing Christmas a little early. I saw that you guys decorated your tree, Stephanie and Kirby and gang here. Uh, good for you. I got mine down. It's on the garage floor. It's sat there for a week now. It's too nice. I, I just lost track and started doing things outside. Um, so we celebrated Christmas a little early last week. You know what we're celebrating today? Easter. Right? I'm, I'm talking Easter with you right now. This is all Easter talk, what I shared with you. This Easter this year was terrible. Do you remember what happened during that time of the year? We had COVID-19. We weren't meeting. We did online church. It wasn't Easter. It was terrible. I was preaching to a camera. Worst scenario I could ever imagine in my life. Speaking to a camera, you know, it's like if you want to wreck a preacher, just have them preach to a camera. And no people involved at all. That's just a terribly, terribly hard thing to do. So today we're doing a little bit of Easter. And on Easter, what we really tend to highlight is this idea that Jesus has redeemed us from our former life and has made all things new. He's the resurrection and the life. He's taking care of our sin problem. We're forgiven in him. Our sins are gone as far as the east is from the west. They are no more. We're not, you know, slaves to that sin anymore. But, but in addition to that, we have this new life. He's our resurrection, our life. And we often say, he is risen. And you say, what? Oh boy, that was weak. So at home, I want you to join in with us too. I'm going to say it again. He is risen. You say? Yeah, we're resurrection people, man. We follow the resurrected Jesus Christ and like God raised him from the dead, what's he going to do for you and I? Raise us too. It's our hope. Otherwise, we're dead in our trespasses. Jesus brings life. Now, part of the equation of him bringing life to us is this forgiveness. But the wrongness of the question is, why can't God just forgive our sins and let everyone into heaven, is that it minimizes, first of all, our sin condition. It minimizes this idea that God's holy and that we're not holy. It minimizes this idea that we're dead in our trespasses and we're not taking our sinful condition seriously and that we need to be resurrected. It says, I want to do what I want to do, God, and I just want to have the benefits of heaven, but heaven's a holy place, and the unholy cannot go there. That's the issue. 
But God is so about relationships and so about redemption and reestablishment. And you know that sin blocks relationships. So get this picture. You know why God came to us in the person of Jesus Christ? Because he loves you. He loves you and he wants you to enjoy a relationship with him. Heaven's about relationship with God and enjoying God forever. And sometimes we have these wrong pictures of relationship with God and how we can come to God and maybe barriers between us and the Lord. And, and, and they sometimes inhibit this understanding that God loves you, right? Amen? And he wants relationship with you. I, I want to talk with you for a few moments on some things that John Maxwell talked on that I think helped to clarify and to maybe get rid of some wrong understanding when it comes to uh, our relationship with the Lord and some things that inhibit. So I'm going to use some of the things of John Maxwell, but I'm putting my own twist on these things because I did not have a, a fence prop, so I'm doing some things. You'll see what I mean in a moment here. But let's talk about some things oftentimes that come to our mind when we talk about relationship with God and they kind of inhibit us. They kind of get in our way. Um, you guys know what this is, right? A lot of you who are young. I suppose Dave Hopewell has about 10 of these at his house. What are these things? What is this? It's a baby gate. It's an old, it's an old school baby gate. The new ones are plastic and much cooler looking and all that. But I'm old. And this is what we use, this wood thing that would lock between, you know, the, the walls or whatever. When you used to have walls in your house, which you don't have anymore. So now you need a 50 foot long, I guess, baby gate. I don't know, with this open concept. Amen, right? It's going on. But, you know, you put this at the top of your stairs... And if you don't have open stairs. But anyway, you follow what I'm saying. And it supposedly keeps your little child from tumbling down the stairs to sure damage of some sort. Amen? And so we would put these up. I have six kids and now 13 grandkids. So I'm familiar with this thing. This thing is like my best friend. I've named it Buddy Fence, you know. And it keeps the little ones where they belong, sort of. But you know what I noticed? So you put it at the top of the stairs. We have some stairs. We have a split level that you can fall down the stairs. So we put it up there. Where would the little kid end up right away? Right on the fence, looking, trying to climb that thing. Have you ever noticed that? It's like a magnet. I put it up right there. They go, boom, to the fence, right? Amen? Some of you have little kids, you know what I'm talking about. It's frustrating. I want to electrify it, but my wife wouldn't let me do that. Just get away from the fence. Do you ever feel like that? Don't go there. Just, I mean, I'm talking low voltage now. I'm not talking high voltage. Just something that says get away from the fence. But at any rate, sometimes when we think about relationship with God, what comes to our mind is that there's this fence between us and the Lord. And we want to get to the side. We're longing to get to the side. But we don't know if we can and we feel fenced out and we don't feel worthy and all that. You, you follow what I'm saying? A lot of people have this issue. Now, I'm going to tell you why this picture is so utterly wrong. Most of us know the story of Adam and Eve. They sinned. And immediately, that sin caused them to have remorse and guilt and all that kind of stuff, which sin does, Right? And so God came looking for them, as he normally did, in the cool of the day to have fellowship with him. And what did Adam and Eve do? Do you remember? They hid. And that's what we do when we sin. We hide from God, or we try to hide from God. And what I see here is, there was this fence, yeah. But you know what God did? Just topped right over that thing. He just jumped right over the fence, and he went right to his creation, his fallen creation. He said, where are you? What's going on? What would you do? 
And right away what we see there is that God jumped the fence. In his love for his creation, he jumped the fence and he wanted to reestablish relationship right off the get-go. Amen? So if you have this issue of fence going on, I want to tell you this. This is a truth you need to embrace today. You need to hear this. God has jumped that fence. And he wants relationship with you. And, and if there's a fence up, it's because of our making, not because of God's making, okay? And let's move to a second wrong uh, picture that oftentimes we think of when we think of relationship with God. And this one, I think, is a little bit insidious. It kind of maybe works in our lives a lot more than, than we think, and especially for us who live in this culture of, you know, you know, work hard and do right, and life will go good for you, right? So sometimes people look at God and getting to God like that of, of an exercise of climbing a ladder. They look at it like a ladder. And here's the thought process. If I just do right things, live right, I'm a good parent, I'm a good granddad, you know, I'm a good husband, I'm a good wife, I'm a good employee, I'm a good employer, uh, if I treat the stranger well, if I'm a nice neighbor, blah, blah, blah. If I do these things, I'm climbing the rung of the ladder of righteousness towards God. And you know, the trouble with doing this is it never ends, right? And, and the trouble with doing this is what Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for it's by grace you've been saved, what? Through what? Faith. And this is not of yourselves. It's not works. It's a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. And so we erroneously get into this mode way more easy than we think. Of I just got to do these right things, and then God's obligated because I'm doing the right things. Uh-uh. We're lost in our sinfulness. We're dead in our sinfulness. And we have to understand the, 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 the primacy of Scripture, like uh, Ephesians 2.8, for it's by grace you're saved. It's by the power of God. It's by the enablement of God you're saved. And our response to that is to be faith because it's not a thing of works. It's not climbing up the ladder of righteousness to get to God. You know, I, a lot of you want me to go to the top step, don't you? But I, I'm not going to do that. Anyway, because um, um, I might go... Anyway. And we think it's about this, this, and this is, we unintentionally, you know, teach our children this a lot. We'll tell the kids, if you do this, you're a good little boy. If you do this, you're a good little girl. Now, I'm not discouraging you from teaching your kids to be good, but we're unintentionally saying, here's how you're okay in life. How? Do right, do right, do right, do right. You know what you need to tell your little kids? Hey, listen, honey, you're a little sinner. I knew. The trouble is, it's true. If you had kids, you know what I'm talking about. But you need to have that conversation with them to get them to know that they can't get to God this way. You get to God by admitting, I'm broken and I need saving. Amen? And even with your little ones, trust me, when they're doing something wrong or whatever, you know what? Those are opportunities to extend the grace of God to them and tell them how you have right relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And be careful. You want to encourage your kids to do right things. I do that all the time. Boy, you have to be careful how you do that so they don't become ones who later on in life have to climb off the ladder and come down to the state of an admission to be able to receive Jesus Christ. Let's get to one last picture here that oftentimes comes to mind when people think about relationship with God. And this one is, 
Ooh, this one's a dandy. It's awful. very hard for people to get through it. But so some people, when they think of their relationship with God, think of themselves as a garbage can. I'm no good. I'm worthless. I'm just full of garbage. Why would God ever want to have a relationship with me? And that kind of thought process goes on and it's a very real thing. And all the sins I've committed, you don't know who I am. You don't know what I've done. And that becomes this real problem for such a one. And they think, why would God ever want to have a relationship with me? Well, I have a word of the Lord to you today. If you're one that thinks like this, I have a word of the Lord to you today. Jesus came for the garbage of this world. He said to those around him, especially the religious leaders of his time, when they wanted him to do all this religious activity, they were saying, why are you hanging out with sinners? And why are you hanging out with all these people that are you know, far from God? And he said, I am like a doctor. And I've come for the sick. I've come for the ones that are disabled. I've come for the ones that are diseased. I've come for the ones that society has rejected. I've come for the garbage. That's who I've come for. Amen. And then he tells this parable. He says, a shepherd had, you know, 99 sheep that were doing good. They were doing well. They were in the pens. But the one wandered off. And that shepherd did what? He went after the one that was lost. He left the 99 and went after the one. And what Jesus was trying to tell us was, if you're in this condition, this is how you think of yourself, I've come for you. Amen? That's who I've come for. I've come for just such ones. And then he gives this wonderful promise to these ones. Uh, he says, anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. The old is gone and forgotten. Everything is made new. And then John Maxwell gives this real good picture of how to come to God rightly. He said, look at yourself like a door. Look at your heart as if it has a door in it. And John says, this is a picture I want you to think of. Picture a door, a door that can be opened. It's a door to your heart. And on the outside, God is knocking. He's asking you, open the door, open the door, open the door, and let me in. John says, I love this picture because if you have this picture of God, it's the right one. It says, God wants to get to me. He wants to come into my life. And Jesus used these very words. He said, if I stand at the door, knock, and if you'll hear and open that door, I'll come right in. And so there's two things to understand. First of all, we need to open the door of our heart. And second, we need to understand this. God says, Jesus says, I will come in. It's a promise, amen? And so John gives this analogy. Um, He said, if God was a thousand steps from you, he would walk 999 to you, you just take one towards him. And I would modify that. If God was a thousand steps from you, he would take a thousand steps towards you. All you have to do is say, amen, I receive it. Amen? And that, that's our God, and that's getting the right picture of who he is. Um, so open the door and receive the gift of Jesus Christ. Um, and, and make sure, this is an ongoing thing. Now, if you've never done this and you've never been born again, this is where you start with your relationship with God. This is what moves you from, you know, being lost in your sin, under the slavery of sin, being unholy, to being redeemed, atoned for, having a holy status, and, and being made alive. Okay, that's it. But get this. This is to be an ongoing relationship with God. It never stops being the relationship. You're supposed to always have this open door of the heart to the Lord. You're supposed to constantly have this real transparent, you know, authentic, genuine walk going on. So say I have a gift here, and I want to give it to Dave. Okay. Dave would gladly take it because I know Dave. He'd just take the gift. But just pretend I have this gift. And I say, Dave, I want to give you this gift. Well, 
Hopefully Dave would say yes, first of all, because I'm relating this to like the gift of Jesus Christ to us, right? So Dave, I'm going to give him a gift. And, and if Dave started saying, well, you know, Steve, there's this fence between you and I, I don't know if I can accept this gift. And there's this barrier, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, but I'm standing there like this, holding the gift right over the barrier to him. I said, no, there's not. Just take the Dave. I love you. Just take the gift. You know, and then if he says, well, I don't know, maybe I should pay you something. We do that in America, don't we? Someone gives us a gift, immediately we think, oh, no, no, I have to give you a gift back, right? Don't give me a gift. I don't want to give you one back. You ever think like that? I think like that. Oh, no, they give me a gift. Rats. I got to write them a thank you note now. I got to kind of grovel. No, I'm just joking. You know what I'm saying. But, but, but you, you follow what I mean? We start doing what? We're climbing the thing of the rung of righteousness. And so if I gave, you know, trying to give Dave this gift and he starts doing this, well, yeah, you know, maybe I could give you one too. And you know what? Uh, I don't know. I'll work the, you know, you start to write. We naturally just, we climb this thing a lot easier than we think. But I'm saying, no, just take the gift. I love you. Just take the gift. No obligation. And then if, 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 if Dave's like some of us, he might start saying, well, I'm not, I'm not worthy of that gift. You know, we start thinking of all the things we've done wrong and all the junk in our lives. And I'm standing there saying, take the gift. That's our God. He stands there with the gift of Jesus Christ. We do the fence thing. We do the wrong thing. We do the garbage thing. And he's just saying, take the gift. Amen? That's what we do. And we're born again in Jesus Christ. But you know what? This is to be an ongoing interaction with our God. So frequently we're trying to do things on our own or we think, oh God, I screwed up. You'll never forgive me for this. Oh God, I got to do these things right. I got to read my Bible 18 times a day. I haven't read it for a week, so I'm trying to make up for it in an hour. You follow what I'm saying? And we get all this junk going on. And he's standing there saying, take the gift. Take Christ. It's so important that we get this. I want to bring us to our conclusion now, and I want to move us from apologetics and more into the transformative side of this message, although I've been there for a while now. Um, and, and I want you to just still your soul, but hear what I'm about to share with you, okay? Um, what does it mean that we're forgiven? I don't want to minimize that in this message, because being forgiven is a big deal. It means this, you have the opportunity and you have the empowerment to live a bigger life. If you're truly forgiven, if you understand what's going on here, it has provided you with an opportunity and the empowerment to live a bigger life that God offers. Um, I want to dig deep for a moment into uh, some self-awareness here with you. And I want to do it in our, kind of the context of our grown-up faith study guide that we've been using where we talk about the mind and the heart and the will each week. I want to do it in that regard. But I want you to open up yourself now to really receive this. Let this work into your soul here for a few moments. What does it mean that you are forgiven when it comes to your mind? It means you will forgive others because you know what it means to be forgiven. You have this intellectual, this cognitive understanding of the gravity of your sinfulness and your sinful condition, and Jesus has forgiven you, and you're no longer under that slavery, so you won't be so critical of others. You won't be so self-righteous and judgmental. You'll forgive quickly because you know what it feels like and what it means that you're forgiven. It means that you're probably going to have a demeanor of gratefulness and thankfulness kind of around you. It means you're going to kind of, at times, you're just going to go, 
I'm so unworthy. And the thing that saddens me more than anything, folks, is the older you get in your Christianity, the more you should be like this. Not get old and cranky and self-righteous and critical and judgmental. It should be the other way. You should get more tender and more tender and more, you know, in tune with the Holy Spirit that way because you know the great depths of your need of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And you know that you sin all the time in thought, word, and deed. And you know your unrighteousness and you don't play games anymore with God. And you just know, God, your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, and you begin to just have this kind of different demeanor about you. You're much more humble. You're much more in tune with the Holy Spirit. Your mind will think on that which is pure and that which is right because you're so moved by the great forgiveness that you've experienced. Amen? That's the opportunity and the empowerment that comes from understanding what forgiveness means. Let's move to the heart. What does it mean that you're forgiven when it comes to kind of heart level of your, of your being? I don't know if you do this. I do this all the time. I'm a person that remembers I get stuck. You ever get stuck? And here's my, my, my question to all of us today. If God doesn't remember our sins, why do we? Doesn't it just eventually become a tool of Satan to basically beat us up and to keep us kind of in that inept, powerless kind of sense of being, there's no barrier between us and God. There's no fence. There's no ladder. There's no garbage can. There's no barrier between us and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what we need to do is continually open the door of our heart to him and say, come and just do the work you want to do in me, Lord Jesus. I just want to be open to what you want to do in me. And we need to embrace the relationship that he offers us. And we need to cry out these kind of words. You can call God Abba Father, Abba Daddy, uh, uh, you know, Abba Daddy God. You can call him that and you can open the door of your heart to God. And you can have this genuine relationship because you have that opportunity and empowerment because of the forgiveness of Christ. Amen? And then let's get to our wills. How do we live differently because of this? You're free from sin. You're free from sin. It's not your master anymore. It doesn't master you. Death is not hanging over your head. It's not there in the background. You have this new life in Jesus Christ, and you're part of the clan of the resurrected. You know, he's risen, and we see he's risen indeed because we're part of the clan of the resurrected. Amen? And, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And so you will live entirely differently because you're forgiven and you're made new in Jesus Christ. And you know, I see too many Christians do this. They hang, there's something wrong and they got their toes hanging right over the edge of that thing. And they're saying, well, I'm free in Christ. I can do, no, you're not free in Christ to do questionable things and see how close you can get to sinfulness. No, you're free from that. Amen? When I see someone doing this and this, you know, about a questionable behavior and they're saying, oh, I'm free. I said, no, you're not because you're right there. You're standing on the underside of the fence longing to be in the place you should not be when it comes to a baby gate now, okay? That's not freedom. That's still slavery. We're not. We're not those folk. Well, we've been born again in Christ Jesus. We've been resurrected in Christ Jesus. I no longer live. He lives in me, and I'm free from the mastery of sin, and I have this opportunity and this empowerment now to actually live the way God wants me to live, and it's a great way to live. It's a great way to do life. Amen? I'm going to end there. But I want to give you this invitation, okay? If you want someone to pray with you about your relationship with Jesus Christ, 
Right after we're done with service today, go to the chapel, and there's a group there that would gladly pray with you. If you've never received Jesus, don't leave here without knowing Jesus the way I've just described him to you today. If you've been maybe thinking, you know, I'm a Christ follower, but you're thinking of yourself like garbage or like your life's like the ladder, you're admitting, I just I feel like I got to do all this stuff all the time to be okay with God or whatever may be the case. Go pray with somebody. Get delivered from that and get the right picture. Amen. God loves you. He wants you to enjoy relationship with him. I love my kids. I want to hang around with them. I love my grandkids. I want to hang around with them. That's our God. He's not out there saying, well, I don't know about you. I don't know about you. You kind of annoy me. No. He stands and he says, open the door of your heart to me. You fellowship with me. It's supposed to be this ongoing thing. Amen. So let's pray. Lord God, I want to thank you for this day and this opportunity to talk for a few moments on what does it mean to be forgiven? Well, we started, Lord, by talking about some apologetics. Why can't everyone just be forgiven and go to heaven? Well, we know, God, you're holy, and we know that we're dead in our trespasses, and those two fatal flaws need to be addressed, Lord, for us to be heaven-bound. Thank you, Jesus. That's what you've done with the new covenant. You've wiped our sins away. You've made us into holy people that the Holy Spirit resides in. And we have life and life evermore now. We're not dead. We're alive in Christ. Praise be to your name. And apologetics is good to know. It helps us in our faith. It helps us to give an answer to those around us, Lord, for the reason of our hope. But God, move us to this transformation moment where we really, really know what it means to be forgiven. Where our minds think different, our hearts believe different, and our wills act differently, Lord, because we're forgiven. God, I pray for anyone here that really needs to know you, Jesus, that today would be the day that they give their life to you. I pray for those of us that maybe have been hanging around with you for 30 years, but are in a dry place, that today would be a day of renewed, refreshing, reinvigoration of our walk in you. We love you, Jesus, and all God's people said,